Welcome to another episode of Maritime Health and Performance Chat. If you've listened to any of my previous episodes, you might start to get the idea that uh, I kind of like judo. Well, if you think I like judo, I'm about to introduce you to someone who absolutely loves judo to the point that he's devoted a lot of his time to the sport. He definitely loves the sport because he's created two clubs currently in Spryfield and Dartmouth, but Far be it for me to talk about him. I'll let him tell you about himself in a lot better detail. So, uh, Mike Lavoie, my guest today, the floor is yours. Oh, thanks very much, man. That's good to talk to you again. Yeah, I, uh, let's see. Judo, yeah, definitely has become a, a giant part of my life uh, over the last 21 or so years. I started just before my 30th birthday, which was very late for a lot of people, and uh, just kept working from there. I was, I was, I was, pretty out of shape. I was around 300 pounds, which for me was not good. Smoked around a pack or so of cigarettes a day, and I did not have a diet plan of any kind. I started judo when my son st- about a year after my son started because he, uh, he threw me down in the snow one day when he was around nine years old, and uh, I thought, I have to get control of this now. So <laughs> I jumped <laughs> on the mat with, uh, with uh, Vitek Kuleza at the YCA, actually. And uh, thanks, very gentle, they, uh, with a large breakable man. And uh, several dojos later, you know, like I said, almost 21 years later, I'm running two dojos uh, with a, a whole coaching team working with me. It's great. I love it. Yeah, and I mean, judo, where you did kind of have a late start to the sport, and I think you've certainly done a lot more within the sport than many who do have such a late start as you did. But it's one of those sports that you really can start later in life and still take it quite far, whether you just want to get healthy like you were doing, uh, trying to do at one point, whether you, you know, are looking for some sort of competitive outlet. Judo is great for that because there are plenty kind of regional within the province and within the Atlantic provinces, very quick to drive to competitions. So it's a great sport to get involved in later in life. And as well as the belt system provides you a, a kind of tangible way of of assessing your own improvement. Absolutely. The big thing that I found, uh, I, I've found some senseis with a 30-year-old large man are, are gentle. Some are not. I've had both. And I've, I've been fortunate in that I've had them both at the right times. So at the very beginning, if somebody had taken me and started pounding me into the mats, I probably wouldn't have stuck around, uh, to be fair. But, no, gravity uh, uh, gravity's pretty harsh sometimes. It teaches you many, many lessons. That's true. <laughs> but as I progressed and I was ready for a more competitive uh, atmosphere, and as my senseis retired, to be fair, uh, you know, I moved to another dojo, I moved to another dojo, and it, and it became more and more competitive. And I didn't realize how competitive I really was until I stood in front of that first guy who, you know, he was actually a little bigger than me. And his only motivation was to throw me on the floor. I didn't realize how much I would take to that. And I really did. And again, great senseis, you know, lots of the gentleness when it was, when it was warranted. And, uh, you know, we played rough when it was, it was time. It was, a, it was a really, really cool journey. And I'm doing my very best for, for my students now to, to bring them through that same thing and learn from, uh, from past mistakes as well. I would say that's kind of the difference between the sport of judo that you would kind of see at the Olympics or something like that 
and the martial art of judo that you sort of see within a lot of local clubs at certain times or another? Because, I mean, there's definitely kind of a different sides of the same coin as far as the traditional and the competitive side of the sport, right? Like you said, probably being gentle with you at first as you learn the technique. And then once you're ready to actually do some sparring and stuff, you kind of learn that sort of going a little harder and sort of reacting to that style a little better. Absolutely. I mean, judo uh, literally translates to the gentle way. So the, the idea, uh, at least what I teach my students, is what that means is, is that you can do it without ever hurting each other, right? However, you have a choice every single time because judo is a martial art. It's a sport, meaning we can do it without hurting each other, but it's also a martial art. There are many techniques if, we, if, if you use them uh, in a self-defense sort of atmosphere, uh, that can be very, very devastating So it, uh, to your opponent, I should say. So yeah, and there's also the uh, character building side of it, which in my opinion, uh, a lot of you know MMA and things like that, they don't focus on enough. We are you know, a Japanese martial arts, so we're not a, a derivative necessarily of many others, although if you go back far enough, we are. But we're, in my opinion, where when it's taught traditionally, it's a much more well-rounded martial arts experience. You learn to become a better person, a kinder person, and you learn your confidence. And that confidence follows through in every single facet of your life. We certainly try to teach that to the kids. Yeah, judo is a wonderful sport that, you know, it really does not only build, build an athletes, but it, it builds a person as well. It really makes you grow in character. Uh, whether you join the sport at six years old or you join the sport at, you know, 35, right? Absolutely. There's, there's no end to it. Uh, there's no end to the good that it can do for you. A lot of people, when they see, uh, fortunately and unfortunately, I guess, when they see a high-level judo competition and they see somebody get thrown I don't want thither. I don't want anything to do with that. I was like, but you notice, but you notice he got up, right? <laughs> and um, it's kind of amazing because it looks pretty devastating at the time. And sometimes some of those in competition throws are pretty stiff. But when you really start to get up there and you're against another really good judo player, when you get thrown or you throw them and there's a proper and it's just good technique, good timing, good follow through, even though it looks like it's a, it's, it's a body getting picked up, dropped, and then another body's dropping on top of it. It's actually quite smooth and you really, you don't realize how insignificant it is once you know how to fall and once you know how, how to react to these techniques. You just use the key word there. I think is smooth. Uh, that's one of our underlying sort of, words everything should be smooth there's no roughness there's no again I, you can't see me here uh, but i have a big nose and a big chin so i don't i'm not a big fan of striking arts <laughs> otherwise, my nose, otherwise my nose would be sideways and my chin would be you know elsewhere but so for me the smoothness of it the ability to control an opponent and you know to be fair when, when it comes into kumikata or gripping our hands are pretty fast so it's not easy to hit me anyway Again, I know I keep falling back on the self-defense aspect of it, but uh, that's because with no tournaments, we've been sort of training a little bit with that lately. So it's funny how many people uh, who you hear of who have risen to very high levels in different martial arts or even MMA uh, who said, yeah, they all start with judo. They all do. And I think that that's a big part of it is, the, is because the teaching of the smoothness of it. And you can take that and you can translate that to 
any aspect of your life, whether it's fighting or uh, dealing with your kids or whatever, right? You can translate that gentle way to anything uh, once you've been at it long enough. Yeah, people like to uh, throw the word functional around as kind of a buzzword for their uh, their training programs and whatnot. But if you really want to talk about functional training, it's it's judo, right? It's it's having to be able to support your own body weight, a bunch of different postures on one leg, on both legs, uh, with or without balance. And then on top of that, you have to kind of be able to manipulate someone else of equal weight around and to, you know, to throw them more and also not get thrown by them. And ideally equal skill in a tournament situation, right? So yeah, yeah there's nothing better, uh, I don't think, uh, to test yourself. No, I have not tried everything, but you know, this, is, this has been my, my focus. But uh, the control and again, you can't do judo without getting stronger as you progress, right? I mean, part of our training regimen is conditioning, right? So you can't do it without getting stronger and feeling better. And just, again, it's not just fighting. There's so much more to it than that. And uh, it, it's, it's tough to articulate until you're in a class and you get that family feel. And, you know, everybody is all on board. We're all here to make each other stronger. I can't work out by myself in judo. I need you there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And it goes to that judo kind of mutual benefit principle. And, you know, on top of that, you talk about you can't get better at judo without getting physically stronger, without getting healthier. And like you said, within just doing judo by performing the techniques, by doing the actual sparring or, or what's called randori and by whatnot, by even just doing the warm ups and stuff, it's you're getting physically more uh, stronger, faster, more powerful. You're just getting healthier through judo. Uh, and, and it's just for the, the health benefits alone. I, I love the sport and really could talk about it all day, but I know you're, you're volunteering your time. And, and like you said, we want to hear that, uh, that press conference later today. But oh, yeah. one thing, one thing you very quickly almost skipped over was your, your time as an actual athlete. And, you know, from, from the time that I knew you sort of, when I knew you as sort of, I think you were a brown belt. We met years ago at Numa in Spryfield there when it was still in Spryfield. And then you and I got our black belts at the same time. But you've got some pretty uh, amazing competition experience that I'd love if you could, you know, dive into that a little bit. Well, I, uh, my first sensei uh, at the time didn't think I was particularly ready for competition as a yellow belt. And he was probably right. But again, when I switched clubs, I switched from a non-competitive teaching class to a 100% competitive class. And uh, talk about night and day. And the people that I was training with were all training for something, whether it's the Pan Americans or, or the Nationals or whatever. And I was a big guy. So I'm the guy that they all wanted to throw. So for the first year or so, they, they beat the hell out of me as a competitor again, right? Now, I never backed off and I never asked them not to. But um, so what happened is I'm going to touch on something very, very briefly here. I am an ADHD adult male. Okay. When I first started showing symptoms of this, ADHD didn't exist and neither did any sort of treatment for it. Right. So as an adult, this physical outlet and the ability, not only as an adult, but as a big adult, nobody's telling me to hold back. They're telling me to work harder. So it's not like, Oh, stop it. You're going to hurt me. It's more like, Oh, come on. Why, why can't you throw me? 
and you know, big guys. I'm gonna start dropping names. I got big guys like Ben Zizerson. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's an uh, understatement as far as big guys. He's a tower. I mean, these are these are the guys that I trained with. And so what happened? I don't want to say accidentally, but I didn't give it any real conscious thought. But what happened is, over the course of the years. I got much tougher and stronger and I worked through my belt levels and I got more skilled eventually and, and I kept competing. So I competed in everything locally I could find. All, every provincial, every every Kanakai, uh, the Blake Lumsden tournament, when it, that used to happen, I competed in everything along with my son. And uh, eventually he dropped off and I just kept going. And what happened is a few of us were talking about it one day and we said, hey, we should go to the World Veterans. And I was, yeah, let's do it. I was in a great position for it at the time. I was feeling good physically. And uh, we started training. And, but, you know, life gets in the way. And, and, and the other guys dropped off. And I ended up going to Fort Lauderdale to fight in the World Championships, the World Veteran Championship. And what an experience that was. Boy, oh, boy. I had been to New York before. And I had completely choked because of my nerves. And, uh, you know, that was the biggest facet of my training that I took on since that happened. Yeah, and, and, I, and the nerves would be kind of natural. It is a huge tournament down there. Yeah, yeah. and the big guys. And, and, you know, I'm there with people I've never seen. Anyway, it was, I love talking about it. That's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other hour. But yeah, um, but yeah the, I choked. I did horribly. It was the worst time of my life. I walked out in the parking lot and bawled my eyes out as a grown man. And I don't mind telling the kids this, right? Because they need to know that. that everyone, everyone feels the same way. But by the time I went to the Worlds, I had sort of pushed through all of, the, of that stuff. And I had an amazing coach in Archie Sheffield from uh, Judo, Ontario. And uh, I won a fight. I won a second fight. And I was like, what's happening? I'm winning fights in the world. This isn't supposed to happen. And, you know, the next two were not so great, but I won a couple of fights at the world. So I was, I was tickled pink. I came in in the top 10 and then I came back to Canada, Spryfield here and you know, the judo club I belong to closed. So it was time to, to move forward from there. Since then, you know, we'll get into that, I guess, next. I opened Spryfield Judo Kai as a nonprofit. I opened it with a lot of help and a lot of great people. And that took off. Spryfield Judo Kai has had a couple of Eastern Canadian champions. I continued competing for a little while, the Eastern Canadian champion uh, two years after the Worlds, and a couple of provincials and things like that. But now it's about the athletes. You know, I'm, I'm 50, like I said. I've got my health problems, but uh, from the time I was 30 to the time I was 50, I competed consistently. And, you know, I always tell the kids I lost a lot more fights than I won, but I won the important ones. <laughs> that's and that's where it matters right yeah <laughs> oh man that's awesome i mean you kind of you kind of touched on this you got all this amazing competitive experience you really put in the hours you paid your dues to really grow within the sport and you know now you're running uh two clubs and i would definitely love to hear sort of the the process of you starting the judo kais right starting in spryfield where you're from and then growing that more than just a, a sport club but it was you grew a real community there you guys had a lot of the fundraising opportunities you set a lot of athletes up and a lot of kids up with a lot of really cool experiences so i'd love to hear how you kind of got into running your own clubs well i'll tell you i've been a trainer for a long long time long before i started judo i, I did a lot of uh, call center work and things like that I've been a, a trainer or teacher for probably since I was around 20 years old. So I, I, it's not my first time 
standing in front of a group of people talking to them and explaining a concept to them. But when I came back from the worlds, the best way to put it is probably the way my wife put it. Uh, Carol, she said, you know, you were not the same guy. The confidence you had was over the top compared to where you were before. And yeah, I had a really good bunch of momentum. And again, our local judo club here, the first, the first NUMA club closed. I was like, well, I, I was teaching a lot of these kids and, and things. So it's like, I don't, I can't let this die here, right? It has to keep going. So I uh, put out a call for volunteers for board of directors and I got some serious hardcore talent reply to me. I couldn't believe it. And uh, we put it together and we started a nonprofit organization, Spryfield Judo Kai. And immediately started fundraising because I was using the same mats that I started with 20 years ago, which were probably the same mats some people started with 50 years ago. Yeah, for that long, you know, they, the, the mats start out, especially those old style ones, they didn't start out soft to begin with. And then after uh, so many years of people falling on them and probably being stored and stacked on each other, they were probably uh, not too different than the, the floor itself. That's Right. Uh, but, but I will say this. I will say this. Uh, thank you very much, Halifax Judo Academy, Bill Anderson, for loaning those to us when we started. Uh, because without having some, a mat surface, you don't have a judo club. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Something's much better than nothing. That's right. And he really helped us out. We understood what was happening. And, and, uh, and again, he was my second sensei. And he was right on board to help us expand. So that was perfect. And we had a lot of people who were really interested in judo anyway, because there had been a judo club here. And so we were very lucky in that, in that we didn't have to go farming. You know what I mean? We had a ready, at least a few people who were ready to start training right now. Yeah. In Spryfield, we did tons of demos at schools and things like that. I did a few uh, lunch hour school programs when I was allowed to do that. And it kept going up. And then we were looking for a way to expand because I've been a small business manager, small business owner over the years. And, and I'm always, I have the expansion in mind all the time. So we were like, well, where's the best place? We thought about Sackville. And Sackville's okay. We had maybe in the future, but it's kind of far from ge geographically from where I live. So I found a spot in Dartmouth. We started a club. It started out really slow. It was tough. I had two or three kids. And we're trying to pay the rent, which you just can't do it, right? And Spryfield carried the Dartmouth Club actually for a little while. But since the, the lockdown ended and things sort of opened up a bit, the Dartmouth Club has exploded. We're doing very, very well in Dartmouth. There's no judo in Dartmouth. The Spryfield Club is still doing really well. And so we're just, we're just doing our best to just keep it going, uh, uh, you know with the philosophies that, uh, that we have. The parents appreciate our anti-bullying talks that we give the kids and things like, you know, we often will sit in a circle and talk, right? Judo, again, is much, much, much more than just fighting. So, so we'll sit, we'll talk, you know, and the, and the kids are getting a great education from us. They're always excited to go. Now, one thing I'll mention is that I don't do this by myself. We have, I think, eight black belts and three brown belts that contribute to the coaching team. So this isn't just me. Um, they're all, I hope, operating on my, uh, on my philosophy because that, you know, that was my goal. But we have a big coaching team right now, and everybody has a slightly different perspective. It's really, it's really cool to watch. I watch, you know, one of our guys, uh, Sensei Ryan, teach a class. 
teaches it totally different for me. He's not wrong. It's just that there are so many different facets to judo that one person couldn't possibly have them all. You know what I mean? You have to have a team to teach it. That's a uh, that's a fantastic way to really look at the sport, and especially a sport like judo where it is weight class based. But within a weight class, you're going to get a ton of different body types, different uh, different fighting styles, just based on their their own physiology, who their coach was. A ton of things that can kind of contribute to them having a differing style of performing the sport than you do. So, I mean, the more people that you can draw from, the more different body types, bit different backgrounds. You want people probably from different judo upbringings because they would bring different sort of aspects of technique to the sport. You want people with sort of comp- competition experience, coaching experience, right? And there's not enough time in the day for one person to get all of that. So exactly like you said, you need to draw upon a lot of different people with kind of a collective vision, but a lot of different backgrounds to really build a successful program. You really do. Um, I thought I do big guy judo. I'm six foot two, I'm 200 and change. But we have Sensei Nick in Dartmouth, who's 299 pound roofer. I mean, I don't know big guy judo compared to him. So uh, so I have many, many students who are much bigger than me, who Nick is the guy, right? I have students who are smaller than me, who may be Chris, uh, our brown belt in Dartmouth. It might be the guy. I'm in middle, right? And again, I've been studying, coaching, and teaching most of my life. So for me, I fit right in the center. And if you don't use the people around, I, I don't mean to say use, but if you don't appreciate the people around you, as a coaching team, then boy, you're going to run into trouble every time. A young girl I have uh, working with me in Spraco, Abby, 18-year-old brown belt, is probably going to end. I could, I could see her being a national level coach when she's ready. She's dedicated. She's still young. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, we have so many. I, I, could, I could list them off. It would, take, it would take 45 minutes. But we have so many people who are just dedicated to not only our club, but the individual students in our club, we have so many different little personalities, especially with kids, where we try to sort of help them along. We've seen such amazing results using this team approach. You know, there's no one guy in charge. Although I technically take the title of technical director, I fully listen to and embrace the advice and ideas of everyone else with me, right? We are a team. We have to be. That's such a great mentality to have, and it's really uh, an egoless mentality to have to be able to delegate and you know give the reins to someone else when appropriate, right? And to be able to be sort of honest enough with yourself to be able to say, "Hey, I'm not as familiar with this technique or this kind of judo or something like that, so I'm going to pass it off to one of the other coaches because they're going to teach you this, right?" It's such an important skill to have as a coach to be able to not only give and deliver what you know and your experience and stuff, but know when your own knowledge and experience is lacking and know who to sort of pass off the reins to kind of fill in the gaps from you. How else are you going to learn? You know, so I'm a black belt. Yay me, right? Um, (laughs) But every time you come to my class, for example, I learn at least three or four different things because you have a totally different perspective. You have a totally different background, as you said, and a totally different training regimen. One of the things that I love to do during the summer when our classes are a little leaner is I love to bring in senseis from other martial arts. 
like karate, capoeira. That was a fun one. Um, <laughs> tai Chi, whatever. Just because I know that judo is awesome. Don't get me wrong. It's my first choice every time. But we have stuff to learn from everyone. And not just all of the judo senseis, but all of the senseis. You know, you, you get Ken Allen from karate. You get, you get Carlos Nunez from, uh, from BJJ. You get you from wrestling, for example. All of these people have something to show us. Every single one of them. And we have something to show them. So, I mean, that's really the united sort of martial arts community that we especially, I mean, we've all been kicked and kicked hard, right, with the pandemic. And so we, if we're not working together, then we're working against each other. And that's all the judo clubs, all the BJJ, everybody. We all need to be working together. We're all like-minded. And that includes every single sensei out there. They all have something to share. A hundred percent. I mean, very within specific to judo as far as you bring in people from different martial arts backgrounds the more body aware you are the more you can kind of manipulate your own body using you know your own strength using leverage whatnot within a space the better you can be at judo the better you can react to someone sort of coming at you as well as you can kind of time your attack competition sense as well as a self-defense sense right if you're body aware if you're aware of your surroundings you're a lot better off so I love that you kind of preach that self-defense side of the sort of the martial arts as well and i mean as far as your coaching philosophy delegating and utilizing a lot of different backgrounds and different coaches to build up one bigger whole thing it's great to see how you apply that to not only other judo clubs but transferable martial arts like you specifically said bjj there that when i was competing i would go to some bjj practices absolutely myself as well and it totally helped me we really if we want to build the strongest martial artists out there, I mean, I guess we could wean out who we consider is weaker. I guess we could and come up with a dream team. But when I say that, I have one person in particular. I won't, I won't say her by name because I don't have her permission. But I have one young girl in particular who is perhaps, how to put it delicately, she was not particularly physically gifted. I say was not because what she's done is worked her way past that. Even now, if you talk to her face to face, she would say, I don't know what you're talking about, but she can do one of our warm-ups without trouble. Whereas a 40 year old man who comes in for his first day can do about half of it. And that's okay, that's fine. But what I'm saying is this young girl who was not given any physical gifts has developed her own through hard work, and dedication on her part of so much and working within the team right when she comes to class you know you say how's your day oh terrible i said well that's all about the change right that's when you walk onto the mats with our team that's your time that's time for you to be better and whether it's like some guys like noah who wants to be a national champion in candace or whether it's somebody else who just wants to play judo is made for everyone that's the beautiful part of it right it's not like boxing if you boxing if you get punched in the face you get punched in the face it hurts right <laughs> not not against the boxers i'm not saying that i don't want any boxers coming after me <laughs> but my point is there really is something for everyone whether you're a 60 year old grandma or a 20 year old gunner who who wants to, to throw everyone into the basement Judo is such a beautiful, versatile sport that you can do both.
Yeah, and I mean, you've built up a pretty awesome judo community between both your Spryfield Judokai and Dartmouth Judokai. And I mean, you, you know, you made an awesome, awesome, I guess you were talking about experience as a business manager. You know, your move to Dartmouth was such an awesome move because, you know, there wasn't a consistent judo club there for many, many, many years. And you look at the size of a lot of the other sport programs, like what an obvious, uh, fantastic untapped market that you, you found making that Dartmouth club. And like you said, it's exploding. So it's just amazing that with this sort of judo community that you've built around the judo Kai system. It's funny because in Dartmouth, we didn't expect it to blow up. In fact, the first year it was tough. The only reason we kept Dartmouth going in the first year was because we had a few key members who really seemed to need us there. You know what I mean? Whether it's an autistic young guy or somebody who doesn't speak English very well or something like that. Uh, we had a lot of Brazilian kids coming out in our first year, in fact, who didn't speak English at all. And so they showed up because they had done judo in Brazil and they understood a couple of Japanese words. So it was for us in Dartmouth, honestly, without that obvious need coming from these kids and their families, and we're talking four or five, literally, those, those, that was how small the numbers were. Uh, without that legitimate need and like, you can't leave, we need you. Uh, we probably wouldn't have kept it going, but they did, they, you know, and, and we did. And what happened to perseverance and hard, hard work from a bunch of people, the Dartmouth club specifically has really taken off. Now the Spryfield club's four years, four and a half years old. We're pretty well established. We've got lots of senior members, lots of junior members, but the Dartmouth club is the one that's been taken off this year. And that's been great. Again, a hundred percent because of the team, I take no credit or very little for the success of the Dartmouth endeavor specifically. Spryfield, yeah, that was me and my bunch, but uh, Dartmouth, we expanded our coaching team and it's been going great. Yeah, and definitely a successful expansion. And one thing I'd love to ask you, Mike, because you've done just a lot of fantastic things for the sport. Like you said, you created uh, the original, the, the Spryfield Judo Kai after your old judo club closed. So, I mean, there was obviously a need there. There was a vacuum right there because all these people suddenly didn't have judo. So creating that club was definitely just fantastic for the sport. You, you know, retaining a bunch of people who otherwise might not have been involved as well as getting a lot of new people involved. And then, of course, you're moving to Dark myth which has thankfully really taken off especially lately so i'd love to know kind of what do you think you're doing uh as a coach and, and as a club owner uh to really stand out and sort of advance yourself uh within that field i'll tell you that's a great question and i've thought hard about it what is different and it really is you, we talked about egos right i have an ego I don't know if you know that, but I do. You know, you can't stand off on the mats against another black belt without having some kind of an ego, right? You can't do that. But what I understand and what I've always understood is that every person who has worked hard enough to become a coach, to, to reach a coaching level, has something to offer. And even though you may not 1,000% agree with their philosophies or their techniques, you always need to look at it. So what's happened with us is I have a team who I can call them. I can talk to them. I can ask them if, okay, we have one guy who's training for a blue belt. Can you and you show up tonight and make sure you take him into the corner and make sure he's ready? It's such a tough question to answer because one of the things that I've always prided myself in is not my own abilities. 
It's my ability to put a team together. And uh, this has gone through all through my call center and industrial work experience or whatever it is. But I've always been proud of being able to put a team together. And I think that that's what's happened here. These guys, once they see how strong the team is, they, they join up. And, you know, nobody works harder than when they feel like they're appreciated. I know that sounds hokey, but when I message my team and I say, you guys did a really good job last night. That was awesome. They just keep working harder even though they're volunteers and they're very skilled and you know, judo, you don't get to be a brown black belt dojo assistant or, or dojo instructor uh, certified coach without putting a lot of work in and having some care for what you're doing. And uh, I think that what's happened over the last year or so is that we've drawn in so many really good coaches that we've developed, in my opinion, a world-class coaching team. They all bounce off of each other very, very well. They may have different opinions, but they're not exactly conflicting, if that makes sense. So I don't want to say it was organic because I don't believe that it was, but it's happened sort of as evolution. We've evolved through the pandemic and now people are sort of choosing their judo philosophy. And a lot of people have dropped off altogether. A lot of people have just not come back. But fortunately, among our coaches, we have a really great team. They're all dedicated to educating themselves and they're all dedicated to working together. And they all have the same goal is to keep, is to keep these kids in judo and pushing forward. That's awesome. I mean, it sounds like you have a fantastic ability to, like you said, build a team and collaborate with these people, not only just kind of build a team. It's probably easy to build a team and have everyone work under you. But like you said, you, you have no problem letting someone else run the practice because you know that you've said yourself that everyone has something to offer. So, you know, you're never going to miss that little extra someone else has to offer your class or your club, right? Like you're never going to miss that. You're going to allow them to kind of show that and your whole club is going to benefit for it and the sport will benefit from that. So that's awesome. I genuinely think that in denying my students, for example, Matt Short to come in and do a wrestling class or a judo class or to have Ken Allen come in or whoever to do another class, right? I genuinely think that if I don't do that, that I'm doing my classes and my students a disservice. These are all things that I'm interested in and that all sort of feed into our main goals, right? Like you said, mutual benefit, mutual welfare, um, and, and as martial artists as well. Now, we haven't talked a lot about sport judo. That's because sport judo is a little different than martial art judo. And uh, it's basically a dulled down version and we don't need to get into that, but <laughs> in my opinion, uh, we, we, teach judo. we teach sport judo during competition season, and we don't have one of those right now, so, yeah. <laughs> so we're focusing on the martial art more or less this years. But yeah, it, it, you can't discount everyone else's hard work without, again, imagine if we all, MMA is one thing, but imagine if all of the uh, traditional martial arts work together, right? Never mind ground and pound. Imagine if wrestling and, and, and karate and like what an amazing uh, fight that would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> I realize that's the definition of mixed martial arts, but it's turned into more of a blood sport to me. So I don't, I'm not a big fan necessarily. I appreciate the athlete's efforts for sure, but I like the traditional martial arts much better. Again, 
I have a big nose and big chin, so I don't like getting punched. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I don't think many people like getting hit in the head. So, Mike, I'd love to ask you, as you know, a club operator uh, and you know, a judo coach and a judo practitioner, what's it been like trying to run your two clubs during the COVID shutdowns during this pandemic, and what sort of modifications have you had to make to continue running your clubs and providing a service to all your members? <laughs> so, if this was you and I talking over a beer. I would say it's been immensely confusing. Um, <laughs> while we were shut down, I was the, actually the president of General Nova Scotia. And so I developed, uh, uh, with uh, again, with an amazing team. Uh, nobody does anything by themselves. And if, everyone says, if anyone says they did, they're lying. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, with a great team, we developed our return to play plans, phase one, two, three, and four, blah, blah, blah. And we've been able to work within that mostly, but it, it's certainly a fluid situation, isn't it? Our most recent updates allowed us to plan for an inter-club open mat. Unfortunately, that was just today sort of shut down, so we, we can't do that. So again, it's a fluid situation. Um, with our two clubs, when it's okay, we're lucky we can ex- sort of extend that bubble right so we can have guys training in dartmouth and spryfield among the different weight classes and such but we really need to just double down on our efforts and we need to get all of our judoka or judo players training province-wide together again for the same reason as the coaches we have such an amazing array of talent in this province and competition will start again. We need to be able to spread out and train with each other. I know I want to train with people from Cape Breton or Bridgewater, but until it's safe, we really can't do that. No, and I mean, there's so many fantastic athletes across the entire province right now that it really is a shame that inter-club uh, open mat got canceled and, and hopefully uh, in not too long cases sort of get under wraps here so we can have more of those because you've been uh, again like you've been preaching this whole time leaving ego at the door you've been fantastic with hosting so many open mats to allow so many other athletes from clubs to come out and train give your own athletes abilities to train with different people and again like we were talking about a bunch of different body sizes and backgrounds and skill levels so again just another sort of avenue that you provided to allow the sport within the province to grow which is just an awesome sort of prerogative that hopefully does get restarted soon and i know that i'm the one on the podcast but but i will say again this is completely a team effort we have a whole board of directors of Utah Nova Scotia that are working hard in the background and have been for years uh, uh, to try and keep everything you know on the straight and on and narrow each club has their own coaching team although I will say once again I have an ego my coaching team is amazing <laughs> <laughs> being very clear I have an ego but they rock yeah, so uh, we have our next update is what, in an hour and a half? Yep. Yeah, and I'm hoping that we're not uh, shut down again, but unfortunately I'm not optimistic. But what I am optimistic about is the dedication. And people understand, like, I put a lot of work into this. I learned a lot. I don't want to stop now. Why would you want to? <laughs> Why would you quit when it already hurts? I was, <laughs> yeah, you're just getting started now. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It's going to hurt way worse. You might as well keep going. No, I'm only, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, only I'm talking to a, a, a competitor when I say that. So. Yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, like it's again judo to me the way that my team teaches it. I say my team, our team teaches it. I take no credit for the team. They all came together organically and they work together very well because they're in a martial again the martial arts community. There's nothing like it to work within. I wish we could make a little more money at it, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, that's the way it is. Yeah, I think I think going forward again we're always looking at expansion. Maybe something will happen in Bedford again, right? Yeah, it's the, the collaborative effort has been amazing since we've come out of total lockdown and hopefully it continues and we can uh, keep as many clubs open as possible and uh, reopen as many as we can. It's awesome to hear, Mike, that as things have started to reopen, that you guys have really started to explode. And I mean, uh, as you, you said yourself, and I know firsthand the, the amount of hard work you put into these clubs. So, I mean, just before we wrap up here, obviously the big important question, where can people find you at uh, in Spryfield or Dartmouth? Well, uh, your best bet is going to www.teamjudokai, and that will give you links both to Spryfield and Dartmouth and uh, registration forms and things like that. Of course, with COVID being different, you can't just show up for a class and try one anymore. But you can definitely jump on the website, jump on the Facebook page. We have both Spryfield and Dartmouth Judokai on Facebook. They're, They're kept separate for now. Um, but for email, it's teamjudokai.com and uh, let us know any questions or uh, anything else uh, that you might have. And uh, again, we start at five years old. So we go from five, I believe in, in Dartmouth, for example, our adult class, the average age is 46. So it's not necessarily a young man's sport. So if you're feeling bad after the pandemic, come on out. We can, we can help you out. <laughs> you should get that on a t-shirt or something. <laughs> feeling fat come on out (laughs) well of course mike i'll link when i when i drop this episode i'll link everything in the description for the website and the social media pages and whatnot and again mike i just want to really thank you for i mean you do plenty of this already but volunteering your time i had a great conversation always love talking judo love talking love talking sport and coaching and the things you're doing for the sport of judo with uh within the province are just just amazing to see so awesome uh thank you so much for coming on the show today I really, really appreciate the opportunity, but it's always good to talk to you. And anytime you want to come out, just uh, give us a shout. Oh, you know, I'll take you up on that offer. I know you will. (laughs) Well, Mike, I wish you and uh, Team Judo Kai the best. Uh, That's all we got today for Maritime Health and Performance Chat. We'll see you next time.